few weeks ago, about 25 members of this church finished the first round of race conversations, conversations about racism, with about 25 members of nearby Church of the Covenant. It was a really good experience and a, and a good start to a longer conversation where there will be even more opportunities for us to discuss and confront together the sin of racism. We have to keep this, congregation, this conversation going, I believe, because if we want to be relevant and effective and faithful in this time and in this place, we have to get more comfortable talking about and wrestling with the sin of racism. You may have noticed I keep referring to racism as a sin, and this is intentional. As people of faith, we are called to approach issues theologically. And when I see racism expressed by individuals, consciously and unconsciously, when I see it embedded in institutions and policies, when I see it revealed in startling demographic data, I see separation and alienation. And anything that separates us and alienates us from one another, but also from God, is a sin. And when we see sin, as people of faith, we are called to confess it so God can help us overcome it. Today's passage from the Gospel of John might be one of the most read passages in all of Scripture, with its amazing promise of life everlasting The 14th chapter of John is one that is often read at funerals as a way to provide comfort to those who are grieving. In a time when their hearts were troubled, Jesus promises his disciples that he is going ahead of them to prepare a place for them where he himself will be. And this is simply one of the most amazing promises in all of Scripture, one of the most amazing things Jesus tells us We will have life everlasting with him. Now, for many of us, this promise of an eternal dwelling place is the linchpin of our faith. It's the rock on which we stand. It's the hook we hang our hat on, the promise of life everlasting, of a heavenly reward. It's an amazing promise. But only a few verses later, Jesus makes another promise that is even more startling in life-altering than the first, a promise we often miss. Very truly I tell you, he says, the one who believes in me will also do the works I do. In fact, they will do greater works than these. Two scholars, as part of a study, sent out fake resumes responding to job ads. Each resume was given a name that either sounded stereotypically African-American or one that sounded typically white. Otherwise, the resumes sent out were pretty much identical. The resumes with names like Emily or Greg received 50% more callbacks than the same resumes with names like Lakeisha or Jamal. Having a white-sounding name was about as beneficial as having eight years more working experience. The results of this study are are particularly interesting when you consider the results of another study done by Harvard and Tufts in 2011 that found that whites, on average, believe that anti-white racism 
is a bigger problem in our nation than anti-black racism. A few more mind-blowing facts. The net worth of the average black household in the United States is $7,000, compared with $111,000 for the average white household. The U.S. now has a greater wealth gap, wealth disparity by race, than South Africa did during apartheid. A black boy born in the U.S. today will live a life that's five years shorter than a white boy born in our country. Police arrest blacks for using marijuana about four times as much as they do whites, even though studies are proven that whites and blacks both smoke pot about the same rate. And in one study, it was found that blacks and Hispanics, treated by doctors for a broken leg, often receive significantly less pain medication than white patients with the same injury. Racism is a sin. And as these statistics remind us, any sin that is left unchecked, any sin that is left to fester in the corner, any sin that is not confronted and confessed will have real and lasting and tragic consequences on us all. Sin, in all its forms and expressions, leads to alienation and separation. Alienation and separation from God, from one another, but also from who we were intended to be, who we were created to be. Which is why I believe confronting the sin of racism, despite all the challenges and difficulties and issues that work will rise, arise, despite all the challenges, this is a work we simply have to do as people who follow a risen Christ. According to a recent Pew poll, roughly 7 in 10 Americans of all stripes believe in heaven. They believe in heaven as an actual place where good people go and are eternally rewarded. You ask Christians, do you believe in heaven? That number jumps to 9 out of 10 people. 9 out of 10 Christians believe in heaven. As a nation, we nearly all believe that Jesus has prepared a place for us in the life that is to come. And we believe this amazing promise given to us in the 14th chapter of John, despite the fact we have no discernible proof that heaven actually exists, is a leap of faith to believe that heaven is real. And yet nine out of ten of us here today do. But when Jesus promises us only a few verses later that we can and will do the work that he did, even more effectively than he did, we shake our heads in disbelief. Heaven, yes, we can buy that. Miracles here on earth, sorry, not going to happen. Dorothy Day once wrote, Whenever I groan within myself and think how hard it is to keep writing about love in these times of tension and strife, which may at any moment become for us a time of terror, I think to myself, what else is the world interested in? What else do we all want, each one of us, except to be loved and to love in our families, in our work, in all our relationships? God is love, she writes. Love casts out fear. Even the most ardent revolutionist seeking to change the world is trying to make a world where it's easier for people to love. 
to stand in that relationship with each other. The work of Jesus, the work we are equipped and called to continue, is the work of reconciliation, of bringing together that which is separated, that which is broken, that which is torn apart. Every miracle of Jesus, every teaching of his, every boundary crossing, every act of love points to his ultimate purpose, bridging all those divides that separate us one from another and from God. Sin, death, ignorance, prejudice, greed, lust, fear, all of it, Jesus died and rose again to overcome. Which means that anywhere people are not joined together, anywhere where people are torn asunder, anywhere they are not reconciled, anywhere where people are divided by gender, by skin color, by orientation, by politics, by experience, by socioeconomic status, those are the places where we, as Christ's disciples, simply must be standing in the divide, in the separation, in the chaos. Because that is where Christ always did his best work. Not on one side of the debate or the other, but right in the middle of the mess. Again, the resurrection is not a one-time miracle about Jesus. It's not an anomaly that proves Jesus is God's son. The resurrection is a statement about how things work. Life, reality, our world is always moving towards resurrection, towards redemption, towards reconciliation. This is the way the world works, which means we can do this. We can confront racism together. We can struggle with inequality and our privilege. We can cross political chasms and engage each other on topics and listen to each other on topics that we fear might tear us apart. We can do all of this because of what Jesus promises us. Very truly, I tell you, he says, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these. All I wanted was to be a mother, to work at my job and raise my kids and live a normal life. Then my son was killed and that world went with him, and God led me to another place, another world, another life. I became a mother on a mission, a mission to bring awareness and change so that the killing of Trayvon Martin would stand for something, so the killing will someday stop and the healing will begin, so that our children and all children can live together in peace. These are the final words of the book, Rest in Power, The Enduring Life of Trayvon Martin, written by Trayvon's parents, Sabrina Fulton and Tracy Martin. I was compelled to buy and read this book after watching an interview where they spoke about the loss of their son and their struggle to confront the sin of racism. I stared at the TV in amazement as these two grieving parents spoke about the loss of their son and the work they felt called to do And they spoke not out of a spirit of hatred or resentment or anger or rage. They spoke out of a spirit of hope. Hope born of a belief that following their son's tragic killing, they were equipped by God to continue God's work of reconciliation here on earth. Because of their faith, even in all their sorrow and confusion and fear, they believed 
We can do this. Racism is horrible. Racism is complicated. Racism is painful. Racism is inescapable. Racism is better than it used to be. Racism is worse than ever. Racism will always be with us. When I ask people about racism, they say a lot of things. But few say that one day it will be defeated. And that they will be there in the middle of the scrum to watch it fall. And yet Jesus says to us, you will do the work I do. And even greater work too. Believe in heaven, but also believe you can make a real lasting difference here on earth. A wise person once said, the opposite of faith is not unbelief, it's indifference. So let's believe in Jesus as a group, as as people. Let's believe in Jesus and in all of his promises and then look together to make a difference here on earth. We can do this. We can do this because our work is God's work. And it's a work we are equipped and called to do, maybe even better than Jesus. Amen.